0: Welcome to episode 52 of For the Love of Guns. My name is Jason Schaller and I have yet another amazing guest for you. It's Rebecca Schmoy. Now Rebecca has been fighting for 2A rights for a while. You may know her from the DC project. She's the local representative for Kansas for the DC project. You may also know her from 1 million moms against gun control. And if you're from Kansas, you may know her as the candidate for Health District 59. That's right. She's taking her 2A fight to the next level. She's running for office. She's definitely an amazing person, and you're not going to want to miss this interview. Now, before we talk to Rebecca, it's time to pay the bills. And as you guessed it, this episode is brought to you by you. You're the reason I can continue to bring you content, but I do need your help. And it's real simple. I need you to go to www.trb.fyi, go up in the menu, click partners and discounts. And on that page, you have all the places that have partnered with me to bring you content. Go there before you go shopping, find the partner that you want to go shopping at, click the link and it'll take you right to their webpage. And everything you buy a small portion of it comes back to the channel so that I can continue to bring you content and the greatest thing is it doesn't cost you one penny more than you were already going to spend it's right it's not going to cost you anything more but yet you're going to help the channel out now that is partners and discounts some of these partners will give you a discount so I can save you money while you're supporting the channel. Just look for the checkout code right there. Use that at checkout and you'll save a little bit of money. And in today's economy, who couldn't save a little bit of money? Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Rebecca. Rebecca, tell me about your love of guns.
1: Sure, I am Rebecca Schmoy, and I work with organizations such as One Million Moms Against Gun Control, the DC Project, and I am running for the, my state legislature in Kansas. Awesome.
0: Now, how did you get involved in firearms? Is this something that you started off with as, as a little one, or did you get into it you know, as an adult?
1: Well, I come from a very firearms-friendly family, and my dad, since he had firearms, he wanted to make sure that my sister and I were proficient in safety. And so he spent a lot of time making sure that we were trained in being safe around firearms. But I didn't really get into firearms until I started dating. And so when I started dating and I was, uh, I mean, I came from a very rural town where it was still the days when you could pull up to school and there was the gun rack in the back of the truck window. And so... Basically, if you were going to have a boyfriend at the school, <laughs> they were they were probably somebody who had the gun rack in their truck. And so that's really how I started going out and being more comfortable. I started bird hunting um, for a date, you know? And so wow. that really came <laughs> into actually using firearms through social. And then from there, it became, part of my everyday life. I went out and bought a shotgun because I was tired of having to borrow ones that were too big for me. I'm kind of a small girl, and so I was tired of borrowing ones that were too big for me, so I wanted to get one of my own, and that started a whole lifestyle of firearms and hunting, and now my dad's my hunting buddy, and I've raised my boys hunting, so it's, it really is a lifestyle, and it did start, really early on.
0: Well, it's one thing you said in there was about safety. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that really stood out to me is that your father taught you firearm safety, which is kind of, you know, we talk about firearms. Oh, I learned how to shoot. You started off with, hey, we learned the safety aspect of firearms, which is is great because that's really what we need to start with. Um, You know, when I was when I was a kid, I started shooting when I was, um, seven and you know, I had my, my first gun, uh, actually I still have both my first and my second gun. Still, um, first, my first gun at 10 and my second gun at 12. And you know, that was leading up into hunting and stuff like that. But we were taught respect, you know, the safety things, this is not a toy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my sister and I, we, you know, it was, it was always, if you wanted to, to see one of the guns, it's not a problem. You just tell mom and dad and we will handle it in front of them. And, you know, they took the whole mystery out of firearms and you learn that respect. So I I love how you opened that up with, you learn the safety aspect. Your father taught you the safety aspect of firearms.
1: Yeah. I mean. It really does come down to the fact that we teach our kids not to touch a hot stove. We teach our kids not to run out into the street. If you are a firearms owner, you need to start early and often teaching them the respect value of a firearm, that it is not a toy. If, if you don't want to have a negligence or an accident, with it, then you are responsible. Um, On top of that, since I have my own kids, that's how I started them out. We started with Nerf guns and water guns um, and learning different safety aspects of firearms. And so it, it really... It's that piece that I think a lot of people are missing. If you are not a firearms owner, then you need to be reaching out to your friends or people in the community that you trust that are or find a local safety training somewhere that you are. Because if you're not a firearms owner, your kid will eventually still be around people who are. They will still be in situations where there are firearms present. You cannot stop that any more than you wouldn't teach them to buckle their seatbelt. They're not always going to be in the car with you. It's the same thing yeah. with firearms. And so it's it really does go back to the safety training. Fortunately, we had parents that were involved in it um, for parents that aren't get your children safety training it is imperative if you love them protect them
0: yeah I, I absolutely cuz that's uh, you know i've i've taken many people out to the range for their first range day right they, they've never touched guns i've i've had people like hey i want to get a gun I'm like you know that's awesome I, i'm i'm happy for you why don't you come out to the range with me you know i have all kinds of different guns we'll go through the different guns and we'll, we'll show you how to, how they work, how to respect them. And then you can make an educated decision from there. Right.
1: That makes all the difference.
0: <laughs> it does. Right. Cause you know, I, I, I used to be an FFL. I was an FFL mm-hmm. for 10 years and, and I was talking to people about, you know, I've had a lot of first time gun owners and they're like, well, I want this and I want this. I'm like, Okay, that's great, but have you thought about your decision? Why do you want that gun? Well, it's cool, it's awesome, but it's probably not the most practical firearm. You don't go out and buy a Desert Eagle for your first gun. No. Don't get me wrong; it's it's cool, but right. even even that's a that's a heavy gun, even for me. You're not going to enjoy that gun. Yes. Um,
1: well, and there's something to be said about saying. I love the way that that looks. I'm going to buy that. I want to own that. But if you're actually thinking about carrying it, you have to think about carrying it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you have to stick that gun somewhere. Yeah. And depending on your laws, you know, if you're going to do concealed carry or some municipalities, it has to be concealed. Yes. It, you got to now take this full size frame and somehow covered up right? and then still have access to it. That's where you start learning about, okay, that's great. You know, a full size gun is, is, is awesome. But if you're going to use this for personal care, you might want to start thinking about a compact or, you know, now you got these subcompacts that, you know, that are amazing, right? I mean, it's like a subcompact gun. That's not (coughs) really a subcompact gun anymore.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Technology is advanced, Quite a bit. It has. It's amazing.
0: I mean, you know, the first nine millimeter I shot was a Smith and Wesson model 59. (laughs) It was a very heavy gun. Mm -hmm. And you know, the guns now have, it's still a nine millimeter, but they have more ammo and they're lighter and balanced. And it, it, it really is. It's cool. And I like to tell people it's, you can want whatever you want, but the, But the gun really picks you, not you, the gun. You know, it's does this fit in your hand? Can you handle it? Is it can you handle it safely? Right. Um, You know, uh, I've seen my father when he was still alive, we, we used to go to gun ranges. We were looking for a new gun range to shoot at. And we saw someone have a shotgun with no stock and a pistol grip. And he he pulled up like this. And we're like banging on the glass, you know, Stupid, because he's not going to hear us. And, you know, he squeezed that trigger and had a nice bloody mouth afterwards. He didn't didn't understand and he didn't respect the firearm of what's going to happen when he squeezes that trigger. And those are the type of things that I I love hearing people talk about that stuff because it's a great sport. It's a lot of fun. It can be safe.
1: Oh, absolutely. We just,
0: we, just need, we just need to teach those safety rules.
1: Oh, it's it's one of my biggest pet peeves when someone takes somebody who has never shot a gun before and they put the heaviest, biggest, most recoil thing that they can find in their hands for that first shot because they think it's funny or that they should start out understanding the power that does more harm to the second amendment industry than anything else. Because you can scare them off in that first shot. And then they, they hate guns after that. And not only do they hate guns, but they hate you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's
1: a bad deal. You
0: you may lose a friend after that.
1: Oh yeah. And then they might fight against your gun rights for the rest of their life. You, I mean, that's a very real possibility and we've seen it happen before.
0: And, and the, not only just that, is are you the, you know, if, if you're a firearms person and you're going to take somebody to the range day, you also need to think is, are you the most appropriate person to teach that person? Right. Yep. yep. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, you know, the, I'm thinking more of the girl and a gun. Um, yep. You know, quite frankly, women shooters have different needs than men shooters. Yes. Um, and we had a, uh, we had grown a gun. It, it's funny. I'm kind of going through the whole um, girl in a gun and it was a uh, um, DC project last week. I have you yeah. on with a million. It, it, I'm going through that whole thing. And it, it, it's funny is as I'm going through these podcasts, I think about back when I was dating my wife and teaching, I mean, she had shot before, but she didn't, she wasn't a shooter. Right. And then teaching her to shoot. And I'm sitting there looking back at all the times of when she goes, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, yeah. it, it, this this works for everybody else. And then as I go, this is the first woman that I've taught how to shoot. And, okay. you know, it, she has a completely different um, thought process about this. And, you know, it's, it's like having a right-handed person teach a left-handed person how to shoot.
1: Right. Well, you and hold the gun this priority. way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had a customer and the, at the when I had the, the gun store, it was, he was talking about it, it, teaching his kid how to shoot, and his kid was a left-handed shooter, and he was teaching a bolt action. So he oh. had, so he bought a left-handed bolt action, and he's trying to keep, teach the kid, and he's a right-handed shooter trying to figure out a left-handed bolt gun. Right. And oh, finally, yeah. he's just like he just found a left-handed shooter. He's like, right. i I love to teach you, but you're, I'm not doing you any justice.
1: Oh yeah. See, I didn't. I did not train. My kids, my boys are all teenagers now. And when we started, we started with BB guns and safety and uh, worked on proficiency as they got a little bit older. But when it came to actually training them in being proficient with firearms, that was not a job for their mom. It's uh, kind of like when a parent tries to teach their kid how to drive,
0: a Drive? So yeah. you
1: overcorrect everything. Well, also, I have mom voice and having mom voice the kids really they they hear you but a lot of it kind of filters through and they do not really pick up on some of the things that you say now if you set them down with an instructor who isn't mom then all of a sudden it's it's a professional it's an expert and they know what they're talking about now moms tell them the same thing for the last 10 years but it's not the same thing. This is a professional and they know what they're talking about. And so if I spent the extra money, I took the extra time to make sure that my kids went to someone else whenever it was time for them to start working on proficiency. It has made a ton of difference for them. And there are other people that I can take out for the first time and they listen to every word I say, but with my kids, I understood really early on that mom voice it's, is a real thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's different when it's different when you're, um, yeah, when it's your family. You know, yeah. I know that from my day job, where I'll go into a consulting engagement, and I'll stand before a board of directors and tell them exactly what their IT manager has been telling them for years, yeah. and suddenly they'll listen to me because, well, they they're paying me two, three, four, sometimes up to six hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. And, well, well we got to listen to him. It's like, this guy's been telling you for years. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I know exactly where you're going. And I, and now you said mom voice. And I'm thinking back at all the times I probably had, mom, you know, the mom <laughs> voice filter on for my mom.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it's a real thing. <laughs> we know it's it a real is. thing. <laughs> I used it with my mom. I understand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. With all this experience with firearms, what led you to, you know, second amendment advocacy?
1: All right. So, just like everybody else when Sandy Hook happened and it was all over the news and you couldn't get away from it. I mean, I was I was a stay-at-home mom while that happened. And so I was sitting in front of my TV and my kids were playing next to me while you're watching that unfold. And it was horrific and tragic. And you can't wrap your brain around that kind of evil. And so I'm trying to process as a gun owner, as somebody who's used firearms their whole life, um, somebody who has kids who are roughly the same age as the kids that we we're talking about on TV. how do you How do you make that work? How do you wrap your brain around that? And so while I was grieving with the nation and trying to do that, all of a sudden, this group of moms came on scene and this woman started saying that she spoke for all moms and guns were terrible and evil and they need to be banished from existence. And I mean, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. She was using yeah. different verbiage, but that is exactly what she was saying. She was saying that all moms hate guns. They're scary and they're dangerous and they need to be banished. And it was such an affront to me. Um, my husband at the time worked nights. And so while he was at work, I'm the only person standing between evil and my innocent children. Um, I I took great exception to the fact that this person and the organization that they were creating didn't think that my life and my kids' lives were worth defending in the most effective and efficient way possible, with the most effective and efficient tools that are available today. And I got angry. it's it really i don't get offended by very much of anything but i was offended listening to that individual the the organization that she represented and then all of the other little parrots that came along trying to say the same thing i got very offended that my life and my kids lives were not being considered valuable enough to protect. And so I started looking around for other people, not even, not even other women, but other people who felt the same as as I did, because I know that they're out there. I grew up with them. I I mean they, we are not an island unto ourselves. And so I started looking around and I happened to find an organization called One Million Moms Against Gun Control. And it was named that because when that particular mom when shannon watts came on scene with her bloomberg funding the organization of dollars oh yes and that organization was originally called one million moms for gun control and so when i found against gun control i clicked on their facebook page i was reading the content that was on there and i was like these are my people So I started to engage with them um, on the national level, and then I found out that they had different state chapters. So I started to engage on the Kansas chapter of that, and very quickly, they started recognizing what I had to say and my passion for the subject of protecting myself and my family. And so the founder, Heather Marchese, now Heather Grove, had contacted me and um, basically said, hey, listen, we need all the help we can get. Do you want to come on and start creating content for us? And I, of course, was absolutely, I will do that, whatever is going to help spread the message. And so that's really where the advocacy started, and that's where I got the foothold, and I very first started reaching a larger audience. And then very quickly from there, I basically, as, as life happens and people in organizations like that kind of come and go and things evolve. I ended up, uh, now I am one of the two of us. I guess there's two of us. There is Mary Callison, who uh, lives just outside of Chicago and she is my counterpart and between the two of us we run one million moms against gun control and act as a liaison to anybody who wants information if you want to know in your particular area where you can go get go to get um, really effective training if you want to know what your gun laws are if you want to know who to contact to change your gun laws where you are we can, generally speaking, because of the decade of networking that we've done, we can usually get people within 50 miles of wow. really That's quality nice. training. And I mean, uh, there are places like when you get up to Montana, sometimes it's hard to get you within 50 miles. <laughs> but those people always understand. I mean, they're used to it. Well, well I'm in Montana, so I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> It's a little bit have, different than, you know, we have if to import
0: instructors.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we've got we've got quality instructors in all 50 states. We can we can hook you up with the people who are out. Um doing the things every day, who are making the difference every day, um, as far as their own advocacy or whether it is legislators, uh, we can get you in touch with people in your state. We can get you in touch with people in DC. In some cases, we can get you in touch with people who are within your actual district. And so it's, we've really spent a good 10 years building this just so that we can say, Hey, we know a guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: Well, it, that's kind of the thing, you know, going back to what you were talking about, this is an information war going yes. on. And the more information you have, the better, better prepared you are. I mean, I've done podcasts talking about, about the gun control Bloomberg stuff where they they skew statistics to make it oh, look Italian. like what they want. Like I was on their, I was on their. That was it the mayors for against gun oh, violence yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then I was, I was on their website, um, and it was funny because they're, they're like ranking states, and it's like you know the number one state all the way down. Like Montana is like there's like two other states that are worse than us, and the statistics make it look like Montana there's it's like downtown Fallujah. Right. You know, it's like people are just dropping dead from gun violence here. And I'm like,
1: yeah, yeah, shootouts all the time. That's like, yeah. West out there. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not here. Uh, no. You know, and that's, and then you try to, you know, I, I always tell my audience that if you're going to look at statistics, go back to the raw figures. Yes. And I find that it's very difficult to, if you know, if at all, get back to raw figures when, when I look at this stuff and I, I'm like, Oh yeah. So how's Montana this bad? I mean, I think like it's Mississippi and um, Arkansas or something like that, or, you know, or Mississippi or Louisiana are like worse than Montana. Right. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I know people live down there too. And it's, 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 it's pretty safe around here. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, our in Montana, our biggest problem is uh, suicide. Right. You know, and, and, you know, they're saying gun violence, you really can't lump suicide into gun violence. No. I mean, I mean, don't get me, don't get me wrong. Sui- suicide is, you know, the levels are unacceptable. Any suicide is unacceptable.
1: Absolutely. And
0: there's organizations help it. You can't, that's not gun violence.
1: No. Um, and the fact that they try to conflate those two things, um, when they start adding in gang violence, when they start adding in self-defense. Officer, yeah. Officer
0: know, involved shootings. Yes.
1: Then it's, yeah, it really should go to tell everyone, regardless of how you personally feel about guns, it should tell them that if they need to pad the stats, then the stats aren't in their favor. but unfortunately with the information war trying to get that information out and we really do have some amazing second amendment um, well basically the second amendment community has really stepped up within the last five six years uh with suicide prevention and talking about it and getting it out in the open because for so long it was such a guarded topic and nobody wanted to have that conversation because they keep using those stats in the gun violence stats. And it's such a needed conversation. And so it's it's been very heartening to see how that has, has really evolved in our community, that we're able to talk about it and say, Listen, it is, it is a horrific tragedy. We want to prevent it as much as possible. And just like teaching respect for guns, we need to start talking about respect for life and the value of life and how important each individual is and that you not only deserve to be protected and defended, but you deserve to be here. And it's, it has made a huge difference. And I'm excited to see... Where that goes, because I know some great organizations that are are doing that on the daily basis.
0: One one of my favorite organizations for that is Hold My Guns. I Sarah know Sarah's
1: amazing. I love Sarah. She's
0: <laughs> an amazing person. She was uh she was on the podcast a few months ago. Um and and I talked to her offline. She is she is an amazing person. She is, and, and it was funny is when you get to know her. You just realize that she's like the perfect person to head that organization.
1: Absolutely. I, it really, it is her. It, it yeah. encapsulates everything about who she is and what she believes. And she's, I cannot say enough great things about Sarah. Yeah. She is one of my all-time favorite people, not just in the gun community, but just as a whole. She is phenomenal.
0: She is. I mean, she's she's a rock star. And for everybody watching or listening to the podcast, for at least the last couple of months, if you look down in the description, you will see Hold My Guns in the description and how to get a hold of them. Yep. So if you do have some questions or, um, you know, either about the organization or about suicide prevention, definitely reach out to them because they have great resources. And they've teamed up with other partners, uh, A Girl and a Gun, took some of their materials and put it, it put out a great flyer on, on things.
1: They did. And it's, that's what it takes is all of us, all of the different organizations, all of the different people in the community, actually becoming the community and working together so that we can protect our rights and protect each other. It makes all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah. Now, how do we empower people to find their voice to fight for their rights?
1: That's <laughs> that's, that's a tough a one question for me. Yeah. Um, I am someone who naturally, I it this is what I do. This is just who I am as a person. I was the little kid at school that, when somebody was getting picked on by by a bully, I was the one that was right in the middle of it, saying, you know. Absolutely not. not. You need to, yeah, you need to go this way because I'm, I'm protecting them now. And so I've always been the type of person that if I see an issue, I have no problem standing. I have no problem speaking. Um, teaching other people how to do that isn't necessarily really where it, we're going hard. with it.
0: It's, it's hard. hard because some people are naturally introverts. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the two of us are pretty much an extra. I was an introvert, but I learned to be an extrovert. Just I yeah. found my voice. You know, one of the things I like to tell people is like, you know, if if you don't like what's going on, regardless if it's two way or whatever. Write a letter to your representative. You don't absolutely. have to. You don't have to engage in the conversation. Write a letter. I don't like this. I don't support this. It doesn't need to be a book. Right. Um, you can well, start that. Well, you don't have that. to
1: stand up in front of people and say it. You can, yeah. if you write it down. In fact, one of the things that I like to start with with people is, you know, it's, it's not that you have to get up and that you have to be the person to present it. If you write something and put it online, if you've got a blog or if you just write something on social media, people can share that. They Then all of a sudden, you're taking just your view that you could have a one-on-one conversation with somebody, um, and then other people are able to add to that conversation. The problem becomes when people come along and attack those ideas that you've shared, sometimes especially if you're not somebody who is comfortable sharing your information or sharing your ideas publicly that can cause you to pull back in what i tend to tell people is absolutely not if it's something that you believe not only do you need to continue to share your ideas not only do you need to continue to to voice your side and your opinions on these things and Hopefully you're doing that with facts and reason. Um, <laughs> but not only do you need to continue to do that, but you don't have to address the attacks coming at you. The, yes. Most of the time you, you're told or you learn, I guess, in my line of business is that you don't go to the comments section. You stay out of the comments because yeah. it doesn't matter what arrows they're slinging at you. All that matters is that you have an important message to share and you're sharing it. And so if if you were able to write something down and and put it out for people to consume, then people will inherently, if they agree with you, they're going to share it. If they don't agree with you, who cares? They don't. You can talk to 10 people in a day and nine of them aren't going to agree with you for whatever reason. You move along. You continue to live your life. And it's the same thing on social media. People really get that out of control and off skew. And it's it's unfortunate that they let it take over that much of their attention.
0: Yeah. I'd like to say is it's your story. Tell it. Oh, absolutely. Nobody can tell it as good as you can. Yeah. You're, you're the authority of your story. Absolutely. No one else, no one else can write your story like you can. And then, you know, even if you're a little nervous about doing that, write a guest article for, you know, another blog, right? Right. You know, find a find an organization that has the same values for you and say, Hey, would you, if if I write a, you know, a blog article, would you mind just publishing for me? And then, it is, I like to say that, especially if you're new and you're you're afraid, because you're speaking to an audience that has the same values as you. Yes. And then you'll you will gain that that experience. You'll gain your confidence, and then, you know, if you want to take it a little farther, awesome. At least yep. start where you're set up for success.
1: Oh, absolutely! Fla- friendly audiences—that's a big deal. It really yeah. is. I mean, it's. It's one thing if you're in a situation like I am and you it's part of the job to stand in the gap and take some of those arrows. That's that's part of it. Um, Not everyone is designed to do that. And I certainly appreciate that. But if you are someone who just I mean, you are just terrified to put your ideas out there. The best thing you can do is talk to the people you know start there start with your very close sphere of influence have conversations build that rapport have them ask you questions so that you can develop better arguments on what you already know find new ways of saying things the things that we're coming up against every day i people like you and i we we kind of feel after a while like we're running into a brick wall we hear the (laughs) same arguments all the time. It's the same arguments that I was hearing 10 years ago. It's, It never ends. They don't even repackage it. It's just the same verbatim slang, whatever. And so if you can find new ways to approach those arguments, other people will pick up on that and they will start to repeat you or they will start to quote you. And pretty soon it becomes this, this huge thing that takes on a life of its own. And you've got hundreds of people using the two sentences that you just happened to come up with. And so it's, It really does make a difference when you just start by talking to the people that you know. That's, that's really where change happens anyway. We don't all need to stand up in front of a camera. We don't all need to write articles. What we do need to do is not adhere to the, well, you can't talk about politics and you can't talk about religion. You need to be talking about those things. Those are the important things. And you need to learn how to talk about them. And then you need to teach others.
0: Listen to what what people are telling you not to talk about, that's generally the topic you need to be talking about.
1: Yeah, that's almost like, you know, when your politician tells you that you don't need a gun, then you need to go buy two.
0: Yeah, with, with, Same what's thing. The, what's the meme? You know, yeah. they're they're telling you uh, they want to take away guns because they're going to do something that you would shoot yeah. them for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that's that was the whole point of the second to begin with was, hey, listen, these are our rights, you don't get to impede on them. If you try to impede on them, then you're going to face a force.
0: Now, you've, you've been up and spoken in front of legislatures. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to, well, go into the, go into the evil, uh, evil politics of running for representative in Kansas?
1: All right, so yeah, um, this was this was not a lifelong dream. I tell people all the time that I already have the best title that is able that I am able to attain, and that's mom. Nothing will ever be a better title in my life other than mom, except maybe grandma, because I, I do have some grandkids now, and they're amazing. And then. You get to you get to do all the cool stuff and then give them back. So mom and grandma are pretty big titles and, and there's really no topping those. So I'm not I'm not running for office in order to attain some title. And in the state of Kansas, the legislature makes during session and only during session, they make eighty-eight dollars a day. And it doesn't matter how long the day is. It could be a three-hour day. It could be a thirteen-hour day. It doesn't make any difference. Is eighty-eight dollars, and so, and I have to drive for an hour to get there. So I mean, it's It's it really it's like a step
0: above jury duty.
1: Uh, Yes, just barely. I (laughs) worked in election. I worked in an election uh, several. Well, I guess a year and a half, two years ago, and I made more money the day that I worked at the polling place then I will make in a day working in legislature. So it's not the title and it's not the money. And my whole job in advocacy is holding our elected officials accountable and being the, the person that calls them out when they overstep or calls them up when I need them to step up. And so it's not that, you know, I, I think that it's some glamorous job because I personally made it not a very glamorous job for a lot of people. <laughs> it really is just the fact that it's a chance for me to serve my community. It is a chance for me to go and share my district, which happens to literally be my community. It is my county. And so I get to go and share their voice and their values to make sure that they are being represented. When my representative at the last day of session decided to announce from the well that he was not going to seek re-election, he was effectively retiring, it was a shock to everybody. So I started making phone calls and saying, okay, who's the guy? What are we doing? How can I support? And I got a whole lot of, we don't know. Do you know somebody who's constitutional and conservative? Because that's what we need. And so I was like, well, I do. However, <laughs> 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 I'm going to need to make sure that you guys are are going to back me. I don't want to step on any toes. I certainly don't want to detract from another candidate who is better suited for this job and they were like oh no please come <laughs> let's get you You're, signed up and so that you were basically
0: that is really,
1: yeah that is that's <laughs> literally how it happened i called around saying who's the guy and they said you let's go and so i i have been very blessed i keep telling people i jumped into the deep end of the pool and I just happen to know a lot of really good lifeguards. And so, and it doesn't hurt that I kind of know how to swim. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it has been a very interesting thing though from going, from holding your elected representatives accountable and uh, the relationships that I've built over 10 years with people in my own state house, some of which are better than others. Because of the nature of, I mean, sure. I, I guess yeah, you. if you don't start nothing, there won't be nothing. So I guess yeah. protect my rights and my liberty, and I wouldn't have called you out on this or that. So it was, it is really interesting walking into a room now with people. And for the most part, they're all people that are friendlies at, for now during the campaigning and election process. You walk into a room and they've known you for eight, 10 years and they know exactly where you stand they know who yeah. you are as a person and then they're their open arms not, just come you're on not wild, you're not
0: do. a wild card coming in they no. they know you yeah,
1: yeah they, not only <laughs> not only do the legislators know me but the lobbyists all know me too and so yeah, it really it's it's a really empowering feeling when you don't have people walking up to you and they think that they're going to sway you one way or the other I walk into the room and they're all like, oh yeah, that's Rebecca. We know, we know her. <laughs> so it's, it's really convenient for me. I don't have to go through any of the trying to find my footing because I already know the other kids in class and I already know what the class is yep. about.
0: <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's obvious that you were the it person because you won your party's nomination by 20%. I mean, it yeah. wasn't, a, it wasn't close. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, 20% is significant.
1: It was. And uh, I will say that I was not the the local establishment's first choice. And so... Which makes you the best choice. <laughs> yes. Well, I think so. But pretty much it boiled down to the fact that I am not somebody who counts chickens. I don't take anything for granted. Ever. And so I went out and I put in the work. I knocked the doors in the heat of the summer and I would be standing on doorsteps all over my county. I mean, just drenched. My hair would be all wet from sweat and I, I makeup's all run off an hour and a half, two hours ago. And so I would work all day, come home, change clothes, and then go knock doors for two and a half, three hours. And so The people who I was engaging with, our our actual constituents, my friends and neighbors, um, they understood that, for one, a lot of them know me. They know my background. They know who I am and what I stand for. But on top of that, they knew that they could trust me to put in the work. And so most of the feedback that I've gotten since election, since the primary election night has been, we know that you are in it for the right reasons. We know that you will represent our voice and our values, and we know that you're not afraid to work. And so I think that that really made a very big difference. Um, It's weird, though, because you go and you speak in front of a bunch of people and the people who know you, who have known you for a long time, understand that that's just part of who you are. People who have never met Uh, I get up and I start talking about the fact that for 10 years, I've been holding legislators accountable and you'd better hold me accountable. If you send me, I'm accountable to you. Your legislators are not your leaders. They're your neighbors. And you start talking like that and people think it's some kind of weird campaign speech. And then you're like, uh, no, just go ask anybody who knows me because this is the furthest thing from a campaign promise that I can give you. (laughs) It's more of a, a threat. Relative- Please hold yeah. me accountable. <laughs> your
0: your district is relatively small because you're you're in a very rural area of Kansas. Yes. So chances are that the person who doesn't know you knows someone who knows you.
1: Oh yes, very much. Um, in <laughs> fact, uh, it's it's really funny. It's one of those uh, degrees of separation kind of things when <laughs> when you run for office in a small community. I have basically when you break it all down, I have 11 different very small cities. So that's really huge in terms of, that's a lot of city council meetings that you have to go to, that's a lot of maybe small parades or community events and things. However, being in a very rural district, it also means that everybody knows each other. And in rural Kansas here, most of the time, we all still know our neighbors and we could also run to our neighbor's house, whether it's next door or whether it is a mile and a half down the road and ask to borrow two eggs and a cup of sugar. It's just the way it is here. And I wish it was that way everywhere. It, it really does bring the community very close together. And then you, I really can represent my friends and neighbors. And so that's, I don't know how much I would enjoy doing this kind of thing if I was trying to get people to be actively engaged that I was trying to represent if they wouldn't engage with me. Because it's really impossible to represent somebody that you don't know. And I've been saying that for a very long time. So I'm going to get to know everybody who I don't know. And it's going to be a lot of community involvement. And interaction. That was one of the things that I that I did promise to my constituents, to my to my community, was that listen, you're not gonna just see me during election time. You're gonna be able to stop me at the grocery store. You're gonna stop me at the school. Yeah. I mean, you you can get a hold of me. And I I'm not gonna shy away from having a conversation with you because I need to know, even if you don't agree with me, I need to know so that I can represent you better.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny because I like to say that, you know, get involved with your local and your state politics. Because you can move the needle faster.
1: Oh, very much. On
0: your state and local level than, than the freight train you're going to need for national. Yes. Right? I mean, it takes, it takes a lot. And... Uh, there are lobbyists with millions and millions and millions of dollars. They're not going to care about, you know, the person in the district. And trust me, I have two, you know, my two, my two um, congressmen in the, um, in the Senate, my two senators, they know me well. (laughs) Um, And one's from each party. And yep. There's a very specific event that I'm sure my audience is sick of hearing me ha- talk about. I was one of the YouTubers that had videos taken down by five senators. Wow. Because, yeah, they decided to send a letter on Senate letterhead to the president of YouTube saying, this: was, these videos are in violation of your, um, your policies. And, you know, I write my senators going... Hey, you know this is really dangerous when a U. When five U.S. senators starts enforcing policy of a company that's not their job, and there was right. no laws broken. Right. Um, oddly enough, I'm, I'm talking about this with you yeah. on the day that the 80% ban hit, um, yeah. and it was an 80%. It was an 80% video. Um, these two do not want to listen to me because. You know, one listens to me just a hair more than the other. Yep. And now it's you know I, it, it, they're tone deaf. You know they're like I, I don't care. Neither one of them are up for election. So now I'm looking at where can I go in my state to bring awareness to this. And like you, you're in a rural area. You're talking about people could stop you. Here, you know, I live in Helena, Montana. Mm-hmm. It's a very small. Uh, it's a small valley you can run into your representative shopping.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you know, these people do this is the greatest thing about it, is they're gonna have to sooner or later they're gonna run into you. Oh even yeah. if you're in a big even if you're in a big city, you could still run into your representative. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's nothing more powerful than when you're like, I don't like what you're doing here. And they're oh. trying to check out with their groceries. Yep. <laughs> they're yeah. They're gonna remember that.
1: Well, and and the thing is, is that people have gotten this weird disconnect over, well, well over my lifetime that all of a sudden we have made these people like celebrities and we have made our elected representatives, our, you know, the whole idea of take me to your leader and that means our president. Who came up with that? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but it's, it's one of those things that we have put them on this pedestal and they had no business being there. They were supposed to, speaking of, of legislature, term limits were a thing for a reason. They were supposed to go and serve their community or their country and then go home so that they could continue their livelihood so that their family was taken care of so that their farm was, you know, tended and the idea that we've got all of these career politicians who are no longer representing the people but instead they have started to represent themselves or the lobbyists or whoever then it's they they really do represent the highest dollar it's not about we the people anymore oh. and a lot of that blame a lot of that responsibility lays straight on we the people because we've allowed it to happen We've condoned it over the years. We've become apathetic and just said, oh no, somebody else will take care of that. And so being able to engage with your representative in the grocery store and say, why did you vote no on this bill? What was wrong with it? Uh, They'd better have an answer for you. Because if they they don't 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 have time to prepare place. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny when you're talking about the career politicians. I have a term for them. I call them the ruling class.
1: Yes. Because we oh, set up, we set
0: up we set up a whole class system of the ruling class. Uh-huh. And they and I re, I usually reserve that for um, national, you know, the the federal level politicians because let's face it, you're going to make $187,000 a year. You're going to live in one of the most expensive cities in, you know, in the country to to do your job.
1: Yep.
0: And you're going to come out a millionaire.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Right, yeah. and sometimes that—that's why I like that's—that's that's why I like the local and state elections because you can you can meet these people, you can talk to them, um, you know, like for you in rural Kansas, here in Montana, we, you know, you have farms, we have ranches. Yeah, these people are going back and working their ranches. Like our legislature meets every other year, so with the exception of about six months, every Every two years, you know, every election cycle for them, they're not here. Wow. So, so they have, there's a lot of time that you can get in front of them.
1: Oh, yeah. And,
0: and, and, and go, hey, look, we, I got to talk to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: This is, this is what's affecting me where I live today. What are we going to do about it? Come see it. Yeah. That's, that is incredibly powerful to be able to actually have a conversation as as opposed to a lot of times with our reps in DC, you write an email or call and the staffer answers and then you might get a form letter back. That's they've taken yeah. it to where they don't engage with their constituents. And it's I've said it for years, it's super important for you to know who your legislators are. It's way more important that they know who you are because yeah. that will make the difference.
0: Like going back to my example of of talking to my senators, um, the one senator does that did engage, I got a staffer, and yep. when I went to go talk to her, it was, you know, I called the switchboard. you know, she sent me a nice email, Let's talk because um, they had no idea that this letter even went out. so they they were even surprised by it. And then when I get to try to talk to her again about the issue, it's she's out giving a tour of the Capitol building to a bunch of students. I'm yeah. like, does she do this, like, all the time? Are you really taking this thing seriously?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, yeah, you know, because ultimately I'm not talking about rancher's rights and I'm not talking about, you know, green stuff. But it's still it's an important subject to me. Whereas taking that back to the local level, I can get that to the local level, especially since I live in our capital. Yeah. Um, I live less than 15 miles away from the Capitol building, yep. I, I can walk right up and just go, yep. hey. Um, but I know we're getting a little off off topic here, but what sets you apart from your competition in the general electric? Because you have, uh, you, who represents your district is coming up in a very short period of time.
1: Yes. Okay. So uh, the primary election was weird. That was that was a battle that I am not used to fighting. That was that was an odd. I if, when you go against somebody in your own party, then for the most part, y- you really do believe a lot of the same things, and it's really hard to say. Well, I agree with ninety percent of what he says, but I'm the better candidate. That's an yeah. awkward thing for me. I know that there are other people who just love primary races and thrive on that. But it was it was very difficult. Um, all the years of being able to really go after the enemy of rights. And then you're going against somebody who should, uh, as long as they adhere to the party platform, they should agree with you on most of it. So that was weird. But going against... The Democrat in the general election. Um, I I know the my opponent. I mean, it is a community, so I know my opponent. He happens to be a retired music teacher from one of the area schools. And so it he's not a bad guy. Unfortunately, he has a completely different worldview. I'm I'm a Republican. I'm more than that, I am a constitutional conservative. I believe that basically it all comes down to if it's in the Constitution and it's a good idea, I think we should do it. If it's a great idea, if it's the best idea I've never heard or that I've ever heard and it's not in the Constitution, I will sure support you (laughs) in your private entity going forth and I will do whatever I can to help make that successful. But legislative wise, we can't do anything for that. Um, Being from the other party platform, my opponent really does believe that um, government knows best and government should be in control of just simple things in everyday life that people really should be doing for themselves. When you take into consideration this whole uh, college debt it just just happened (laughs) today, which really is not a cancellation of debt. I'm a banker. It's not a cancellation of debt. Someone still has to pay the debt. Therefore, it is just a transfer of debt. We have all of a sudden, instead of the, the college student who took out the debt, uh, being the guarantor, now all of a sudden the rest of us are. And we didn't sign yep. up for that. And I have a huge problem with that, <laughs> especially being in, from a financial background. But when you're going against someone that you know in the general election, it's not about the guy. It's not It's not about the, the former music teacher from the area. It really, I, I don't have any problems personally with him. I have a huge problem with the D behind his name. I have a huge problem with the idea that the government knows better how to spend your money. I have a huge problem with them being involved in things that they have no business being involved in. And so I am fortunate enough, since I do know my opponent, that I don't have to go to battle against him the guy I absolutely will call out that he stands for the things that are represented by his party.
0: It's not personal. It's just, you don't like how their idea of doing business.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's
0: what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. It's like I said, it's a completely different worldview. Like take the gun safety issue for one. Um, We believe that gun safety means you teach people respect for life, respect for the tool that they're using, and you teach them to use it safely to promote safety. The other side believes that safety means that we only let certain people who have their permission have the guns. So therefore, the rest of us should all be safe because somehow magically that's going to work. Because criminals
0: never break the law.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that would make them criminals. Right. (laughs) So it really is. It's two worldviews that just cannot coexist at the same time. And I know everybody wants to talk about tolerance and everybody wants to talk about coexisting. And the thing is, is that all of that is just the most ridiculous thing when you really stop to think about it. What we need to be teaching people is not tolerance of things that conflict with the worldview it's not coexisting with people who want to steal your rights it is the fact that all humans deserve a basic baseline respect you you all have human dignity you treat each other with that dignity and it doesn't make any difference if their ideas conflict with yours that's okay um as long as what they are doing is not interfering and impeding on your rights, then let them do it. It's, yeah. it's just, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to me that both sides have this idea that you should be able to tell someone else how to live out their life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And it's, it's such a strange idea to me that I would know better how to how to do something or how to be something than the person who it is. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't want the responsibility of making someone else's decisions. Trust me, I have I take enough responsibility making my own. I don't have time yep. or energy to make other people's, especially since I'm a mom. Now, all of a sudden, it became my job to teach other people how to take responsibility for their own you know it's so it yeah. really it, the the dynamic of red and blue the dynamic of republican and democrat is we have built that all i'm trying to do is get us a step closer to just going back to what's constitutional let's respect our our fellow man and give them the dignity that they deserve because they exist and respect the rights that they have because they exist. And if we could just get a step or two closer to that, a lot of our problems would cease to exist. It's Of course, it makes all kinds of sense to me.
0: (laughs) The one thing thing I like what I'm hearing is you've used the word respect at least three or four times in the past couple of minutes.
1: Yeah. And And
0: one of the things I say is the problem with society now is that we don't have a gun problem. We don't have, you know, whatever you want to talk about. That's not the problem. Our problem problem is respect. We have lost respect for each other.
1: We've lost respect for ourselves. I mean, we have. We totally have. Yeah, it goes right back to if you respect yourself, you have this base to where you understand that other people are also living the same life that you're living. They're also dealing with the same types of struggles. They're, they're going through the same things. So when you have respect for yourself and bringing up children, when you teach them to respect themselves, it becomes really apparent when other people don't treat you with the same respect. Yes and um, learning how to navigate a world where you are trying to be respectful of others and they are not respectful of you. As I've taught my boys, it's really, it it tells you a lot about the person and that they don't have respect for themselves. And if you really want to change the world that you're living in, you have to figure out how to engage with those people And sometimes it's on a limited basis and you have to learn how to engage with them so that they understand that you respect them and teach them to treat you with respect.
0: One of the thing I think people miss, you know, they, they don't, they, they miss this point. And when I have employees and I I talk to them about, um, you know, conflict and conflict management is that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to like you to respect you. Yes. Right. I don't have to like your point of view to respect you, but Mm -hmm. I have to have that respect and I have to receive that respect in, in, you know, in return because that's how we get through our differences.
1: Absolutely. is,
0: Is through the respect.
1: I've told my boys and I tell other people as they listen to me, because I mean, I could talk about this kind of stuff all day. But it's not you are respectful because you're respectable. And that's that is how you should live your life. And granted, there are people who have earned disrespect and it is earned. I can respect the fact that you have your rights. I can respect the fact that I will treat you with human dignity because that's who I am as a person but I cannot continue this conversation or I cannot continue to engage with you. And that is a huge difference than what we see typically in life. Um, The the pandemic really brought all that to a head. I mean, it it really, that's when you kind of had this concept, this idea of disrespect. But when all of the when it was at the height of all of the rules and regulations and expectations and all of that, you had neighbors turning against neighbors. You had family members turning against family members. And all of a sudden you were trying to kill everybody if you didn't follow their rules of engagement that they thought that, you know, we're going to make or break everything. And it was it was surreal to watch that happen. And it's it really did highlight the fact that we are not teaching respect. We're not taking the responsibility to be respectful because we're respectable.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, it became, I, I like to say that because of, um, because of our national politics, it's a, it, it, it's not us versus them. It's us versus us.
1: No, all the time. And, and They have that by design. <laughs> yeah.
0: They totally have it by design. Nice. And then, Going forward with, you know, like you're talking about going through the pandemic, it totally became that.
1: It, it became
0: it became us versus us. We turned on each other. And yeah. that's the whole thing is like whether you're you know, I got to be careful because we'll end up getting pulled off a of certain platforms So what I say, whether you have a a, um, you're on this side of a certain argument of wearing right. a piece of, of cloth or that right. side of an argument. I don't you know my personal I don't care what you do. Yes. Just respect that my choice, right?
1: Yeah. If,
0: whether I do or do not want to do something, that's my choice.
1: Absolutely. And, and uh, we I hear about your choice, choice a lot. If you don't do it. Yes, we hear about choice a lot from legislature. I mean, across the board, nationwide, we have this illusion of choice and then for people whether it's elected officials or whether it's corporations or whether it's just your coworkers or your neighbors all of a sudden they come in and say oh gosh no no that's not your choice you don't get to make that choice because that choice doesn't align with my choice and that's scary yeah. it's this is where we've gotten to in this, in society today and so it's it really it makes you wonder how long it had been festering before it all came yeah. to a head like that, because it didn't happen overnight. We have been building towards this for a very long time. And to see it, to to be alive and to see it while it happened, it really was one of those, what a time to be alive kind of situations. Yeah, I mean
0: it, it showed an underlying problem with society. Um, oh, it did. we I mean, if you if nothing else, look at toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's an important thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, hygiene hygiene is a very important thing, but you know, I grew up on the East Coast. We had nor'easters roll through where we get snowstorms, and when snowstorms used to roll through, especially when you're in the in the um, like the Baltimore, DC area, the, the Mid Atlantic area, it used to be called the milk, toilet paper, and uh, bread alert.
1: Yes. Because Midwest, when a snowstorm that, would come in. Yeah.
0: That's those are the three things that instantly get bought out.
1: Absolutely. That's like shovels the first time it snows. Yes. Everybody goes out and buys a new shovel. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean,
0: it's it's like okay, and then we became you know, that became a national thing. It's like people, you just saw a, a supply chain break down. Yes. On and if toilet that paper.
1: terrify you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This was toilet paper. What happens if we shut down farming?
1: And Where are you going to get tried. your food from? Yep, and then they tried um, because they shut yeah. down all the plants and everything, and so yeah, it's so, it was a weird, weird, a time, weird time to be yeah. alive, and so it was. I mean there there are memes I know that are are the kid you know looking at the book like, ah. and it's yeah. you know trying to study the last three years, you know because. Honestly, when my granddaughters are old enough to actually be studying this time in history, they were alive for it. I mean, they were born during pandemic time, so they were alive for it. But if you get out 10 years from this and they're trying to study what happened over the last few years, they're going to be super confused. And it doesn't even matter where society is 10 years from now, the things that happened during that yeah. chunk of time uh none of it there's there's no linear line of logic to any of it it's just chaos yep. and so it was it, it really is this strange thing and so getting into the political realm moving from advocacy into lawmaking you know during that and coming right off of that it really does it solidifies for me that now is the time that I am supposed to be doing this because of my, let's get back to the constitution. Let's get back to respecting our rights and treating our neighbors with respect and respecting their rights. Even if you don't agree with whatever it is that you think that you know better than them, if it's not hurting you, stop caring don't put effort yeah. into that put effort into doing the best that you can with what you have and so the the chaos kind of led into me trying to calm the chaos it's it's this really odd dynamic that i did not foresee happening at the beginning of all of this
0: yeah yeah it, it's kind of funny uh, you know, I remember, as, I remember as a kid, and I'm like, yeah, I, I forget where we were, but I remember my mom going, saying, "My mom, but they're doing that," and she's like, "What do you care? Is yep. are they doing anything against you? No." She goes, "Why do you care? Yep. They're not, they're not hurting anybody. So, who cares? So, yeah. you know, and I learned that young, is
1: uh, we were supposed yeah, well, to learn young,
0: yeah." <laughs> Whatever, whatever happens, it's, it, it, that's what happens, right? I mean, if yeah. they're not hurting anybody, no one should care what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. And if if we could just concentrate on living our own life and doing our own thing. In fact, it it really comes back to the fact that we all have a lot of time on our hands now. So you know, if we didn't have so much free time on our hands, we really wouldn't have opinions about a whole lot of stuff. And so it'd be really nice to go back to the, you know, not having an opinion about absolutely everything. Yeah. I'm a very opinionated person, but it's always shocking for people to find out things I don't have opinions on because it doesn't affect me. And if it doesn't affect me, I'm not going to put any effort into thinking that through. I have far too many other things to do.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I look at things, uh, uh, my next door neighbor, I remember when he put up a fence. Now Mm -hmm. we have a homeowners association. It was relatively new and people stay away from homeowners associations um but you know he went to go put this fence up and he came out and talked to me mm-hmm. and he's like hey look I want to put it right here so I can connect into your pole there I'm like hey that's great but if you do that and then I sell the house it could be an encroachment so he goes oh I see totally where you're going with this because you know my fence was offset a little bit and right so he put it he goes what if I put it here I go I'm fine with that yeah well then at the HOA meeting, people went nuts about his fence, and I'm like, and he wasn't there; he was working. i was like, yeah, they're talking about this fence. I'm like, wait, are you you talk about so and so's fence? They're like, yeah. I go, well, that's my neighbor. He he came out and talked to me, and we made an agreement. That's where the fence was going to go, and that's good. I go, what happens between my property line? And my neighbor's property line is between us. You guys yes. don't need to be involved in that.
1: Yeah. Why? Why do you have an opinion?
0: <laughs> yeah. Why do you have it? Yeah. This is totally. It's it's a nice fence. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not crappy looking. Right. Um. And and if anything, you guys should be happy because it wasn't chain
1: link. Yes. <laughs> so and he didn't ask you to pay for it.
0: Yeah. Or work on so, it. So. <laughs> yeah. It's just like come on. Just. I, I'm the same way. There, there's a lot of things. You know, my neighbor across the street if he wants to paint his house
1: awesome yeah but
0: i don't have an opinion on that it's,
1: yeah. i will sit outside yeah. and watch you paint your house yeah
0: hey, if you need help <laughs> nope. moving your ladder i'll come over and help you it's, nope. so now now you have your i'm gonna i'm gonna say this in a very general terms. you have your hands in a lot of organizations yes <laughs> Just, so talk a little bit about them because Your advocacy is, I don't think people realize how wide your advocacy is.
1: Okay, so let's see. Uh, One Million Moms Against Gun Control, we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm actually wearing the educate, not legislate.
0: Yeah, I saw saw the teal and I figured that that's- Yeah,
1: Yeah, so that is DC Project. And DC Project is Women for Gun Rights. In fact, in September, mid-September, uh, at least one lady from every state will be going to dc i'm in charge of a small group we break off into these small groups and then we go visit everyone if you have an office in dc and you are a legislator of one kind or another we will be in your office whether you are friendly or non-friendly whether we talk to the legislator themselves or whether we talk to a staff member We will be there. We will physically be in the office having a conversation about why gun rights equal women's rights. Um, How it is that we see, how we view the fact that our lives and being able to protect our lives is inherent to us. And so, We have women from all over the country and everybody has their own story. They all have their own why that they feel so strongly about being able to protect their lives and their rights. And so we're getting ready to do that next month. Also, at the end of next month, I will be a speaker at Amcon and Amcon is a great opportunity for people in Second Amendment media, like yourself, um, to go and learn from and collaborate with other people in Second Amendment media. We, as Second Amendment media, have to do a lot of things ourselves. We do not have the luxury of being published and... We don't have that luxury in this business because there is such a stigma attached to the gun rights industry. It's ridiculous. It is a fundamental human right to defend yourself with the most effective and efficient tools available. It shouldn't be partisan. Unfortunately, it is. And so in Second Amendment communications, in Second Amendment media We have a lot of opportunity to be able to get together and learn new ways and better ways of doing things. And so um, at that, I'm speaking about hitting your target, uh, your target audience with a targeted message. And so it'll be a lot of people giving speeches and doing different workshops and things trying to get us all into a place where we are reaching larger audiences because we all have a target audience everybody in the industry has a certain following and as much as you want to choose what that following is sometimes it doesn't work that well and they kind of choose you you. yeah
0: Yeah.
1: and so it, it really does it takes all of us working together because you're going to be able to speak to people that I'm not going to be able to speak to. I'm going to be able to speak to people that Cam Edwards, you know, for whatever reason, people have decided not to listen to him on something. I don't know why, because I absolutely love the guy. Um, But there, there are so many different avenues that we have to reach these audiences and have these conversations that it's, it's a great opportunity for folks like us to come together and say, this is what's working for me. What's working for you. And how do we collaborate? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, And then, I mean, we just, I have tons of stuff that I do every day here at the local (laughs) level, whether it is, I mean, aside from running for office, whether it is parenting groups whether it is um, going and speaking before the school board meetings when they were encroaching on student and parents' rights. Um, I mean, seriously, I, I don't know what free time is. I, I don't know the meaning of free time because I don't have any. I work a full-time job. I'm a full-time mom. And then I, I do all of this advocacy and and try really hard just to make people understand that it takes you getting involved to get anything done you can send somebody like me to go and speak and and do something but it's way more effective if you go and do it yourself and i'm happy to go and i'm probably while i while you send me and i go and do these things i'm probably gonna say also have you met (laughs) and introduce you anyway because that's the most effective thing we can do and it also means that I get more people involved and maybe someday when I'm like you know 612 I'll be able to retire
0: now for for the audience to to realize how busy things are now Rebecca it took us uh, about a month to get you into the schedule oh yeah last week was Diana Mueller, which took sure. about six weeks to get in.
1: Oh yeah, and then
0: even you know earlier than that was Robin Sandoval. Yep, um, and they're all working on getting all
1: of these ladies to DC. So it's it's a busy. process.
0: <laughs> People do not realize how busy it is in advocacy. They think you just show up. Oh gosh. No, there's no it. it there's a yeah. lot of work that goes behind this stuff.
1: There and is but it's worth it. I mean, it's a lot of work. It really is. But at the end of the day, I, well, let's put it this way. As soon as the primary race was over for my, my run for the house rep, um, one of the first things I intentionally did was spend time with my grandkids and my family so that I could kind of reorient and remember that this is why I do this that this is the actual reason. It's not about, you hear people all the time saying, you know, America or my rights or whatever. It really isn't that for me. It's not about my rights. It's about leaving something to my kids. I don't want to have the conversation with my kids or my grandkids that this is what we used to have. and we allowed other people to take that from us. And I'm really sorry that you didn't get to experience it. I refuse to have that conversation. So it's, it all comes back to, I need to make sure that I'm doing all of this stuff that I'm putting in the work. Send me, I will go because if it means that my kids and my grandkids get to enjoy the rights that we have, I will work this hard all day every day without fail. And so it's it's a mission in my life to make sure that I'm leaving it to them. And they may have to work as hard as I do. I hope not, but they might. But at might the very least, harder, yeah, and at the very least, let me set the example. Let me yeah. show them that it can be done. And so it's, it is hard work. It's a lot of work and it never ends. <laughs> they never hard. stop. So you can't stop either. It's just you dig in and you advance where you can.
0: You always uh, I'd like to say you always want to exercise a right, not remember it.
1: Yes. Uh, one of the things that I've been known to say in a lot of speeches that I've given is advocacy is really important because apathy breeds atrophy. If you do not exercise, your rights, or yourself, then eventually you'll lose the ability to exercise it. And you might not think that a right is important to you right now. But if you don't exercise that right, then eventually it's going to deteriorate and you won't be able to when you need to. And so it's it's interesting to me to watch other people say, well, that's not important to me right now
0: because
1: it might be it. Give it it a little bit of time. It probably will be.
0: I'll I'll lead back to uh, Robin Sandoval. Mm -hmm. She has a powerful story because she was anti-gun. Oh yeah. She was very anti-gun. Like I'm going to take your guns away from you. Yes. And listening, you know, I've read her story before she was on the podcast, listening to her. It's an amazing story. And that's the one thing um, that's great about DC Project. DC Project is full of all of those types of stories.
1: Oh, yeah. We've got stories from, yeah, we've got stories like me where I grew up with guns and it's always been a part of my life and it's always been a part of my kids' lives. To the ladies that um, have survived horrific attacks and yes. learned in that process that their life is valuable and they want to be able to protect it, to people who just had this misconception of what gun ownership was and they had a fear attached to that that they've needed to work through, and so it's it's all of these amazing ladies with amazing stories and they're wise really do make a difference. And I hear a lot of people say, I don't understand why you waste time going to D.C. and talking to some of these people. We do it because they need to know. They need to put faces and names with stories. They need to have that. Because if you don't get in front of these people and tell them your why, then they think it's okay to trample on your rights.
0: You're too far removed from them. Yes. It, it, it never, it never gets in front of them. And that's, exactly. and that's the problem.
1: And, it's know, and that's why ignore. you want to be in front of them. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that, that's why you fight for your rights. Um, you know, I, I, like you were saying, there there are some rights that are more near and dear to me than others. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with rights. They were they're They're, I hate saying they're granted to us, but they're, they're inherent to us yes. they, i mean we were they were so important we wrote a document about it
1: exactly um, yes, we have a contract a whole contract yeah, we have, a contract. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we
0: have we have a contract yeah, totally um so yeah definitely people exercise your rights out there now yeah. you know we've been going for almost an hour and a half and i know it's evening you know for for those of you who don't know this is wednesday the 24th we're recording this you'll hear this on a monday mm-hmm. And Rebecca and I both were talking about dinner before we started recording. Um, now, Rebecca, how can people reach out and and help your campaign, help, you know, Million Moms Against Gun Control? Uh, you know, and everybody, I will have links down in the description. So that way, don't try to write some of this stuff down as you're driving in your car. Uh, <laughs> and and do that. don't do that. Don't do that. Um, whether you're on the video side or the audio side, I will have links down below. But Rebecca, would you mind talk, telling people how, to, how they can reach out and help
1: out? Okay, so 1 Million Moms Against Gun Control is the number one. A lot of people uh, try to write O-N-E. It's, it's not that. So 1 Million Moms Against Gun Control or 1MMAGC.org. And then um, DC Project is DCProject.info. And I am on Facebook and Instagram and uh, both of those. Let's see. Facebook for my advocacy side is Rebecca Schmoy, uh, 1-M-M-A-G-C mom. And then let's see. On the Instagram side, it's super easy. It's just my name, Rebecca Schmoy. And then as far as the campaign stuff, I am either on Facebook and Instagram as Rebecca Schmoy for Kansas. Or you can go to my website that we finally got done. Yay. (laughs) That was a process for somebody that doesn't build websites. That was a process. That was, that was a learning experience. And that one is super easy as well. It's Rebecca Schmoy.com. And so it's, I am literally everywhere. If you type my name into your search Google. browser, you're yeah. going to find something, and I will show you the way to whatever it is that you are trying. If it's the advocacy side, if it's the political side, whatever it is, then I I will hook you up.
0: Yeah. When I was doing my research, all I had to do is Google your name, and I had everything um, for at least two pages. Oh, Google. yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that was a really good help whenever I was campaigning because when people would say, Whoa, what, yeah, what can I, what can you tell me about yourself? I'll be like, Do you have your phone? Just type in my name. <laughs> and so it was, it was super easy. All of a sudden they could see everything. And honestly, I, I don't have anything to hide. And so it's, it's one of those things that you can look back for 10 years and I don't care what I said about what. I will stand by that. I've given these positions a lot of consideration. It is not a fly-by-night. I really don't change my stance. If I said it, I meant it. That's that's one of the big rules in our family is, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. So if you find something that you think, oh, we got you, then good luck.
0: <laughs> yeah, You might want to rethink that position. Yeah, a or little least, bit. Or at least be ready for a fight.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so wrapping up here, I just want to run a little speed round with you. And all it is is just a little game to just kind of loosen everything up at the end here. It's just I'm going to give you a couple of, cho- of this or that choices. Okay. All right. So pistol or rifle? Rifle. Nine millimeter or 45?
1: Nine.
0: Earplugs or earmuffs?
1: That depends on what I'm doing, generally speaking, muffs. I like the range ones.
0: (laughs) Open carry or concealed carry? Concealed. And I swear that I wrote this down before the interview for a pickup truck, gun rack, or under seat storage for a long gun.
1: It depends on where you are. If you are in the country or in a very rural area that you can get away with it, then it's much more handy to have it on a rack. <laughs> if you are in a city or somewhere where you don't trust or whatever, please don't leave your firearm in your car. Yeah,
0: uh, because uh, I, I, When we were talking in the beginning, you we were talking about pickup trucks with gun racks. And I'm like, yep. oh, this is going to be really funny in the speed round when I bring this up. <laughs>
1: See, it's, it's almost like you already knew me. Look at
0: that. Uh, You know, it's, it, it, you live in a rural area. So do I, it's not, it's, it's not hard to see that those choices come through. Oh yeah. For for the last one. And the last one's always a hard question. If you could snap your fingers right now and one anti-gun argument just went away forever, what argument would that be? Oh
1: gosh. Um, Well-regulated militia. That uh-huh.
0: one. good one. Yes, I would. Like I would, that. I I like would that.
1: ask that. If we all, even the people who think that they're who say that they don't know what it means, everybody, given the context, actually knows what they it know. means. Just stop. You make yourself look like an idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it goes back to that whole thing of don't twist the uh, statistics for your uh, for your point of view.
1: Absolutely. Yes, that's. Yeah, that's semantics. I'm sorry. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms. Well, I wonder who the militia is. Come on. Yeah. Or,
0: or, and it's so funny is people argue, well, that's not what the founders meant. And what's so funny is I, I wish I saved the picture of it was um in bronze you know it was a, a, it was a quote in bronze from george washington saying that its people ha- should have guns <laughs> not yeah. you know for the defense right and for protection i was like wow george washington just flat out just said what it was <laughs> yeah
1: it yeah, but- was it really is. I mean, it's not like they sued the other side until we no. won our rights. Come on, yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah,
0: there was no. there was a nasty war, um, actually yeah. two of them, because people forget about the War of 1812. But right, that um, yeah. was it, when you have a bunch of farmers going out with their guns against the largest military force in the world and wins. Yes, kind of, kind of proves a point. <laughs>
1: Yep. That, that was a well-regulated militia since, yeah. you know, they weren't a standing army yet.
0: Exactly. It was just a
1: bunch of farmers with guns. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now that's the one right there.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me and good luck with the primary. Um, you have just about the entire two A community behind you. I mean, you have,
1: uh,
0: um, uh, Tony, um, Oh, Tony from, Simon. Tony Simon yeah. had a video for you. You've got the Pen Patriot. You've oh. got um,
1: Oh man uh, riding, I,
0: riding shotgun with Charlie.
1: I'm telling um, you, the the Second Amendment community really they they did come together as this amazing community to help support my run for office. It was phenomenal to see. And I'm not gonna lie, I got super emotional. When I went back and started reading through them, uh, these are people, colleagues I have known and worked with for a decade, and we don't take enough time to support each other like that. Um, it's, it was a phenomenal outpouring, and the fact is, is that we can do that for anybody. We are a force to be reckoned with. And if my run for office has uh, catapulted somebody else to think about doing the same to protect their rights at the state level, like that, then reach out to the community because we are here to help each other. And this is how we're really going to see changes being made. Instead of complaining about the lawmakers, let's become the lawmakers. Let's start to protect our rights. And, And so just take it from me. If I can do this, if I can jump into the deep end of the pool, you can too. So let's get it done and let's protect our rights.
0: Awesome. I don't know any better words to end a podcast for that. So for everybody, remember the links are down below. And Rebecca, thanks again for joining me.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me i, I had a great time and now i'm very too.
0: hungry <laughs> <laughs> i had a really great time talking to rebecca in all we probably talked for about i don't know about two hours 15 to uh, two and a half hours you know we talked a little bit before and a little bit after and we had a really good time talking to each other and we were talking in the evening and both of us were getting a little hungry as you kind of heard in our little chat there at the end I really do thank her for taking some time out to talk to me because she's a busy person. I mean beyond all of her two way flights and then taking it to the next level by running for office. She is super busy and I do appreciate her taking out that time. And you people in Kansas are so lucky to have a candidate like her. And if you're in house district 59, She's definitely worthy of your vote. We would be so lucky to have a constitutional candidate like Rebecca running for every House district in every state. She's a super nice person and she, she gets it. She gets the fight. She gets freedom. And we need more candidates like her. Thank you for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there.